the rest of us continuing worship. Hopefully they listened and grabbed a Bible earlier because they're going to need a Bible this morning. Um, like I have my Bible up here. And so we're going to get started this morning with our sermon. So we've been in this series called uh, Culture War. And we've been talking for weeks, and you're going to think maybe next week, if we're still in the same condition we are this week with not being able to gather together, that that's uh, ironic that we're in this series uh, because there's an intended focus for it, right? But as we've been leaning into Easter, we've been talking about what it means to have a culture war, and not a war with the culture out there, but rather a wartime mentality for the culture of the church. Right? So the, the reality is Jesus had demonstrated to us ways that we can be engaged with the culture on purpose for the gospel. We're talking what that means and why that matters. But I want to remind you so far in the series that we've been talking about the need to be invitational. Right? So we can invite people over to our homes for a meal. We can't right now, but we could a few weeks ago. Right? You can invite people to um, a Bible study with you. You can invite people to church gathering uh, or um, a whole bunch of stuff like that. So we can invite people out with us. The second week, we talk about being welcoming. That, that when you get invited somewhere, that's fine. But if you walk through the door and it's awkward and, you, and no one makes you feel welcome, that's not a very good experience. So you can help people feel welcome when you invite them over places. And then third week, last week, we talked about being encouraging right? And that Jesus was always encouraging people when they were taking the next step in their life or they were like trying to find a way forward that, they, that Jesus always uh, encouraged his disciples. He even encouraged Pharisees, the religious people, to, to see the kingdom of God and they would always seem to miss it. So that's, that's uh, what we've done so far. And this week we're going to talk about the idea of being empathetic, being empathetic. This series is a practical and applicable series, an application-based series that we are trying to think through how we can create a culture as a church family that's worthy of the spiritual war that we are in. And that, that's no more true than this week as we face great number of hardships. As I prepared today's message, what was really interesting about it was that I kept finding overlap from last week where we talked about being encouraging to others and being empathetic to others. And so I thought it'd be helpful maybe as we start out this morning to begin to think through how, uh, how those two are different and how they're maybe the same, right? So I looked up the definitions of them. And encouragement goes like this, giving someone support, confidence, or hope. So that's what encouragement is. It's giving someone support, confidence, or hope uh, about the, their situation. And we talked about a bunch of situations. If you didn't get to listen to that, you can check it out on the website um, from last week's message. And then this week, we're talking about empathy. And empathy is different because empathy is the ability to understand and share someone else's feelings. And so you can hear, on one, you're kind of giving people hope. But on the other side, you're trying to share in their experiences or their feelings, right? We want to we wanna do that. It's, it's different, right? It's, it's like you're in it. You're in it with people, um, not just standing outside of it and giving people encouragement. I did a little research, and it turns out there were three types of empathy. I didn't know this. I learned this this week. There's cognitive uh, empathy. That means I, I think about what you're going through. There's emotional empathy, and that's whenever I feel what you're going through, right? I can, I, oh, I feel for you. I, I feel so sad. But there's a third kind, and it's called compassionate empathy. And that's what we're talking about this week. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about it, and that might be the path to compassion, is your mind to your heart to your compassion, to your feelings. Uh, there's another way that uh, phrase is called somatic empathy. And, it, and, and somatic is, is like this kind of feeling in your gut. So this week's message, what we talked about, or we're going to talk about, is the way that Jesus was empathetic toward others. And that's our question today. 
What can you and I learn from the scriptures about the things that cause Jesus to have compassion or to move for people? And so we're talking uh, about that. The, the Greek here, and it's the only Greek I'm going to drop uh, today, is, um, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, Splank Nid Zomahi. Splank Nid Zomahi. And, and, and we're just going to shorten that to Splank. Because I think if you say Splank, and you can say Splank, Splank. You know what kind of happens when you say Splank? Are you not saying Splank? Splank. Thanks. What ha- your stomach kind of tightens up, doesn't it? Splank. It's like splank. It's like this kind of visceral reaction. You can't really say that like splank. It's hard to say that casually because it moves something. The scripture actually, that word in the Greek actually means that your, your most critical internal organs, this is exactly what definition read as I studied it, your heart, your lungs, right? The most critical parts of your body are involved in feeling this for people. It's not just a head thing. It's not just a feelings thing. But it's this kind of gut level, oh. And the truth is, we're going to study the scriptures today, and we're going to hear some things that just made Jesus, oh, like that. Like he just, oof. And it's Jesus, right? So we got to think, well, why would that make Jesus respond in that way? So um, we're going to uh, start like we always do. We're going to start with prayer. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning, and then we're going to dig into some scriptures and see what God says about that splank, that kind of sense of compassion for people. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much that we're able to join together as your church at this time and to remember um, who you are and how you made us to be. And Father, your scripture is so rich with truth about who we are and, and the way that you formed us in our mother's wombs and the way you developed us and then birthed us into this world and then gave us new life in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would be our teacher, that we would learn from you, that we would watch the model that your son gave us, and pursue him. Father, this morning, I pray that we have open minds and soft hearts. Uh, may we need encouragement today ourselves. May we need um, to be reminded of what empathy looks like. And I pray that you would do that. But Lord, you, you say, if we ask you for wisdom, you always give it. And you say that you are faithful to us and your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. That we can rely upon you to instruct us in our hearts and our minds and indeed transform our spirit that we might be changed as we pursue you in our life. Um, we ask you to do that, Lord. The only thing, the thing that you only can do, be our teacher this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna go ahead and talk about some situations that Jesus gets into where he gets that splank in his gut. He just can't stand the idea. And the first is gonna come from the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter one, verses 40 and 42. Um, this is when Jesus encountered people who are sick. And so, oh, by the way, adults, if you want, we're going to have seven kind of fill in the blanks. And the first one is sick. If you want to write that down, feel free to do that. And this is chapter one of the Gospel of Mark, verses 40 through 42. Hear the word with me. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. That's that splank. That compassion word is that word. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And 42 says this, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. So we have this story. You probably heard us heard before about Jesus um, just going about doing healing ministries, but there's this guy who sees him who's a, who's a leper. And if you didn't know, a leper is a skin disease, right? And it was a skin disease that made you unclean. And the big problem with the skin disease made you unclean is that and I'm telling you how powerful is the word of God. No one could be around you. 
There's like that saying like that um, you couldn't go to temple and worship because you were unclean. You were seen as being stricken by God. And that's true. But there's another thing happening here in this passage that no one who was holy or righteous would ever touch you. They wouldn't draw near to you. And I want you to see some things that the man says here to Jesus. He says, um, if you are willing, you can. If you're willing, you can. This man who is unable to be with anyone else, he, he kind of states, makes a statement of faith about Jesus' ability. And so in the moment, he says, if you're willing, you can. But Jesus is filled with compassion. I wonder what he's filled with compassion. Because there's someone who's now untouchable, who can't be encountered, who can't be engaged with. I wonder if that's the kind of stuff that just makes Jesus sick to his stomach. You know, we're in the middle of this thing, and you hear all these reports about what's going on with the virus and virus spreadings. But I heard something this morning, this morning on the news, and it was from a doctor. And they said, the saddest thing right now is there are people in beds who can have no family around them. And no one can touch them. You've heard all this stuff about PPE, protective gear and stuff, right? Because everyone's afraid. I heard this um, medical professional this morning say, I'm scared for my life when I'm around this person. That stuff made Jesus sick. That people would be that isolated, that forsaken, that they, that they couldn't be touched. Look at what the word says. I hope you look into your Bible with me this morning. In verse 41, Jesus said, I am willing. And he touched, he reached out and he touched the man. It, it, it moves you to the point that he, he, lays, he, he lays hands, he touches them, though. It's a physical thing, right? And there's this kind of like heady religious debate of, well, if Jesus did that, he, he's not you know, pure anymore. He has to go out and be cleansed. And, but listen, he, he was like, you're valuable. I remember one time I was visiting someone at a hospital, and they had some other really scary disease. I don't remember what it was, but you had to have full protective gear as a visitor when you went in. And I went in with this a pastoral visit. And they maybe put on the, the dress and the, the, the hairnet thing. And the, and then, but the worst thing they made me do is put on gloves. I remember touching my friend's hand, and, and it felt like such a barrier to me. It just didn't feel right. And I want to take it off and just, just human contact. Know this. If you feel that, like if you're a doctor or a nurse or if you've got a loved one and you feel that, know that Jesus is motivated by the same sense, that this isn't right. There's no one supposed to be unclean like that, that we can't have human contact, that we can't be included in the community. Oh, listen, that we can't worship God. I'm encouraged because as much as we can mourn and lament the situation we're in, the truth is that God is not absent for those folks who feel all alone. God is not absent for the family members who can't go visit. God is not absent whenever the doctors and nurses are afraid for themselves. This is the moment of Christ. This is the holy moment. The man actually made a, a, a statement of faith, though. He said, you can do it if you want. And I want to see that Jesus said, I am willing. And he did it. You see, that's what our faith says. He can do it if he wants. He can do anything he wants. Do, do you believe that Jesus isn't able to heal? A friend of mine sent me a text this week and said, let's join together and pray fervently that God would heal our nation, heal our world. And we joined in earnest prayer in that way. But do you believe that? That God can heal people? That he can answer prayer? That's that movement. I hope that that awakens that, that passion in us, that we believe he can do it. The second one is like it but different. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. 
And so if you're in Mark, you're going to go to the right a little bit. And you're going to open the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And this is, Jesus had that same feeling when people were hurting. It's close to being sick, but it's different. We're going to see how as we read this. Verse 25, read with me in chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up next to Jesus, to stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I want to point out a couple things. We're going to read some more of the text, but I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, the man asked Jesus for a prescription for eternal life, right? Like, hey, doc, can you write me a prescription? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus answers, well, what do you think it is? And he said, what's in the law? What's required of you? He says two things. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor, right? Those are the two things. Love your neighbor as yourself, the way you love yourself. And, uh, Jesus is like, yeah, that's it. If you do that, you'll live. If you can love God and love others, you will live. That fulfills the law. But then the man wants to be self-justified, and he says, well, who do I have to love? Listen to the story Jesus tells on the heels of that question. A man was going down, this is in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Also a Levite, when he came to that place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. That's that, what's the word again? Splank, right? Splank, that's what the guy did. He was traveling, he saw him, and he just got sick about the condition of the man he saw. 34, he went to him then. So see, he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he took him to the inn and took care. Oh, he put him on his donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. That's the story Jesus tells. So two folks who say, I'm holy and I'm religious. They see the problem and they go to the other side. And then there's another guy who's traveling and he sees the problem and he stops he gets sick about it, and he starts to use everything he has to help, to serve, to, sh to help this guy out. Then Jesus asked a question in verse 36. To the same man who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I've said this before to y'all, but, it, you know, the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And he says, who's being the neighbor? And it's the one, again, who is moved with empathy for the one who's hurt. You remember the guy had gotten jumped and beat up and thrown on the side of the road. And you know, the truth is, and I hate to say this, but the truth is, as a church, as a believer, too many times I'm the guy going, I don't have time for that today. I can't stop and help. You know what virus is going on right now? I can't get involved. And we pass by on the other side and we think, poof, I'm still safe. I'm still holy. That poor guy back there. But Jesus says, no, it's the one who's moved with compassion, who sees the guy and goes to him, and then actually helps. He gets, I said that last week, he gets his hands dirty. He takes a chance. He invests, he gets involved with this man's life in a very intimate way for a stranger. And Jesus said, he's the neighbor. 
Well, even the expert knew it in verse 37. The one who had mercy was the neighbor, and Jesus said this, go and do likewise. We are called to do the same thing in our lives. The prescription for eternal life is that you know that you love God and you have that sick feeling when you see folks being harmed or mistreated. But not just the feeling, but you move to action. So I wonder, does seeing another human being hurting make you sick? Like I know I've talked to some of you, you said, I can't even watch the news anymore because I see it. And Oh, like Italy, it's so, Italy's so hard, it's so sad, you know. Some of you were saying that whenever people in China were getting, oh, the Chinese people, I'm so, I don't know what's going on with that. That's terrible what's happening over there. I want you to know this. I want you to, <laughs> that's a God-given gift that he's given you. Like, don't push that away and say, oh, I'm just being weird. I'm being too, uh, just got to think straight here. No, that's God's gift to you. That you are self-aware enough to know that, that that's an opportunity to minister, to care, to serve. Even when someone's a half a world away. I love that about you guys. I love that some of you are moved in that way. We should all be. We should be paying attention to that. The third teaching then Jesus, where he sees this, the first one was a sick person, right? The second one was someone was hurting. And the third is, again, kind of we're building a, a kind of escalation here. It's in the Gospel of Mark, and it's someone who's being tormented, being tormented. It's going to be in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse, oops, if I can get my Bible to cooperate. Verses 14 through 23. So chapter 9, verses 14 through 23. And I want you to listen to the story because I want, you, I want you to wonder, how would you have diagnosed the situation, right? How would you have diagnosed it? Um, Jesus had just been up with the, uh, a few disciples and the transfiguration had happened, which is a little backstory, but, you know, it was a high holy moment. He's coming down the mountain, and this is what the word says in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, those who were left behind, they saw a large crowd around them and the teacher of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, or they were awestruck, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Verse 19, Jesus says, O unbelieving generation, how long shall, we, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit, now listen to the word. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. The boy fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, his dad answered. It often throws him into the fire or the water, trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That take pity there he's asking for is that splank. If you could do anything, Jesus, get, get passionate about it. Get, get compassionate about my son's situation. Jesus says this, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. See, Jesus is like, if I can, if I'm going to be compassionate, of course I'm compassionate. But I wonder, how would you have diagnosed that if that man had come to you with a boy who was sick and having seizures? I know we live in a time where we say we believe in science, and I believe in science. I believe science like, is, is us understanding God's world, but God made the world, right? And there's this teaching here, and I want to say this, with not all illness is physical illness. Not all illness is physical illness. 
I would argue right now with what's happening in our culture, a whole bunch of what we're experiencing is not physical at all. It's a spiritual battle. Let me explain why I think that. What are we confident in? What are we hoping for? What have we been believing in? I said this week in email to you all. Our hope is not in a cure. Our hope is not in a, a prevention of disease. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. I know that's a bold thing to say, but is that not true? Are we at any higher risk today than we were yesterday? Well, some would say, yeah, but really? People were dying. This isn't a new problem. You see, if, if I had been there, and this is the problem I have, if I had been there, I would have said, well, he has a medical condition. Well, the dad said he has a spiritual condition. Yeah, yeah it's probably a medical condition. Don't, no, don't spiritualize medicine. But Jesus knows he's right. This fact made Jesus sick to his stomach. It's that those vital organs, I want you to understand that, in Jesus' own body, just react in a visceral way to someone being tormented by an evil spirit or a demon. I think we've kind of lost that. We've scienced that out of our belief system. And, and shame on us. Because there are so many battles that I've seen firsthand at a bedside that are spiritual battles as much as they're physical. I've talked to doctors and nurses before about people who are in beds, and they're going, this, this isn't a physical problem they're having here today. This is something else. I told you before, I've had the honor to stand with people as they pass. That's a spiritual moment. It's, it's, it's not a physical loss. It's a spiritual moment. Praise God. Praise God that these spiritual battles are in his control. Jesus responds in that way. See, and I want to say something else about this, by the way. I want you to notice that um, spiritual afflictions will react in the presence of Jesus. I hope you had that experience before. But spiritual uh, battles will react in the presence of Jesus. See, it says that um, his dad says from childhood. Let me see here. Yeah, in verse 20, if you look at it. So they brought him to Jesus. So Jesus has been having this conversation about what the problem is. They bring the boy to Jesus. And the word says very clearly, when the spirit, that's the evil spirit, right, tormenting spirit, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a compulsion. He immediately had effects because there was a spiritual battle happening. And anyone who didn't have eyes to see it maybe would say, oh, that's not, a, you know, what's going on with this kid? But there was a problem that was a deep spiritual problem. As a matter of fact, we're not going to study that part of the text today, but what Jesus do? He, he demands, he says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out and never enter again. And at once the boy is healed. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him, and suddenly came out, violently came out. It was a spiritual problem all along. I wonder, church, do, do we even have eyes to see spiritual warfare like like, I've traveled a bit, you know, people in other cultures, they see it. Like, this is a spiritual problem. And they pray like that. They pray fervently. We went to Honduras. People pray the roof off of places in Honduras, you know, crying out to God, God, you have to make this right. And then we, in the, you know, the, the, the advanced cultures, we say, um, oh, they're, they're, they're so, you know, they're third world, they're so backwards. Really? Spiritual warfare. We think we've graduated beyond it. Come on. Do you think we could raise the roof? Do you think we could pray people, we could pray for people that God would intervene in a way to set them free? And we're turning the corner here in the text a little bit, but do you think we could pray in such a way that God could release people from spiritual bondage in, his, in the same way that we would hope he would heal them from physical ailments? I don't know if we do. It's oh, God, heal them, God, heal them, and God heals them. Like, praise the Lord, they're healed. As if that's the whole problem. 
We should be praying for those who are tormented. It should make us sick. We have spiritual eyes to see. And maybe, do you? And if you don't, do you dare pray that way? God, would you give me a sense to discern what's a spiritual fight? I know we have to have some caution. We don't want to spiritualize everything. We don't want to, and we're not anti-medicine. We're not anti-science. We're not anti-doctors. Come on. We can pray for people. The next one, and by the way, if the kids are doing this, that was all in the sick. We're going to move on to the grieving. The next one's in Luke chapter 7. So turn to Luke chapter 7, if you would. Luke 7, verses 11 through 15. And this is, Jesus gets this way when people are grieving. Actually, last week we talked about how Mary and Martha had lost Lazarus, right? And they were grieving, and Jesus was moved to tears, right? Jesus wept. Well, here we have it again in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, right? So this is a happenstance passing. The only son of his mother, and the mother was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, this is in verse 13, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. The heart went out is that splunk. It's the same word. In the Greek, same word, his guts. He sees this person being carried out of the city in a stretcher, and he sees, like on an elevated, uh, like a coffin, they were like holding it up on a, a kind of a bed apparatus, right? That's what that thing is, is called. And, um, and in that moment, he sees a widow who's lost her only son, and he sees that whole thing, and it just moves him, moves Jesus. He says, don't cry. Look at verse 14. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. Yours might say Bane, I think it is. It's that thing they're carrying him on. And those carrying it stopped. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus, what's the word say? Gave him back to his mother. Jesus, man, I've, so many times I talk to people and they say, where's God whenever this loss is happening? Where's God whenever I've lost my only son? Where's God whenever I've lost my husband or wife? I, the word over and over, he is right there with us. But that, that thing, and we're, we're going to bend into this next week, right? How, how do we respond in those moments? Talk about that next week. But that's a God-given gift. He does not like the way it is. It moves him to action when people are grieving, and he does something about it. In this case, he gives the son back to the mother. Now, let me ask you a question. How many sons of mothers have died since then? A bunch. How many others died? Bunch. I mean, in his time. But it demonstrates something to us about the people who are grieving, who are sad, the way we should respond. It should bother us. Sometimes we go places and we go, man, I don't want to go to that funeral because it just feels weird. I don't like I don't like them. I stay away. Stay away from them. I understand, but really? What is that that God thing you want to get away from? That feeling it gives you in your gut? That thing you say, this ain't right. This ain't right. I can't tell you how many times I stood in front of people who are grieving said those words this ain't right let me tell you if you believe that if you sense that that's a god-given gift that's a god-given gut thing death it's not right what's happening in the culture it's not right jesus knows it better than anybody so we go to people who are grieving empathy moving our gut we're gonna flip back now to the gospel of matthew that's been i think the rest of our time in matthew this morning and um we're going to look at Matthew. I'm going the wrong way in my Bible. Maybe you're like me. Um, we're going to, another time that Jesus does this is when people are desperate. When people are desperate. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. 
29-34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd was following him. Two blind men were sitting at the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked the men and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. 34. Jesus had what? Compassion on them. And he touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. These two guys, been on the side of the road for who knows how long. They can't even see what's happening, but they hear it, and they begin to cry out instinctively, so much so that the crowd, I don't know if you ever had like someone around you that's so much of a distraction that they're sitting down and you're standing up and they're still bothering you. Like you're going by, you're getting, you're in life and you're doing your thing, and this dude who can't go anywhere or do anything is bugging you, right? And they start to ask awkward questions like, what, what, what is Jesus going to do for me? What has, where's Jesus at when I need him? What, what, Lord Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. What did the crowd do? Be, be quiet, man. This is embarrassing. You've been on the side of the road the whole life. What are you, it's not going to change today. I, I love these dudes, man. I love that, listen, the closer that they realize the art of Jesus, the more they cry out to him. You know what that does? Jesus moves him in his gut. <laughs> Somebody who really needs me. The crowd, we're good. We're going with Jesus. We're walking. But that dude and that dude, People who are crying out. They are desperate for a savior. They are longing for hope. They are believing he can change it. And what was their cry? He says, well, what do you want? And they said, I love this, man. I don't know if Jesus asked me what I wanted. I don't even know how to answer the question. If I got his attention, I don't know. I'd be like, you know, like you, you caught. You got to give an answer. And they say it like, we want our sight. These two dudes, man, we've got the same problem. We want to see. And he's moved, and he touches them, and immediately they receive their sight, and they start following Jesus. That's amazing to me. Do you have eyes to see Jesus like that? Or do you have ears to hear when he's drawing near, and you say, I just got to see right now. You know, that's one thing we could be doing in the middle of the situation. It's, I'm with you. I was freaking out. I'm like on a roller coaster, up and down. Oh, ah, freak out. Oh, it's okay. Oh, freak out. Oh, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? That's my week. <laughs> Every day has been like a week. Every week's been like a month. You know what I mean? And then in the middle of the roller coaster, I have to stop and go, wait, who am I crying out to? Like, Jesus, help me. Help me understand this. And it seems he's pleased to help those who are desperate. Maybe part of the problem is we're not desperate enough for Jesus. Maybe the problem is we're just going along we're like, oh, we're good. We got this. Good. I'm going to suck it up, buttercup, and get on with it. No. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, have mercy on us. What do you want? To be healed. What do you want? Hope. What do you want? Peace. It's an opportunity we have to be desperate for God. By the way, lest you think this is a story about disability. It is not. You know, you have this healing of the blind here, but I want to share with you, you don't have to turn there, but I want to turn there myself because I want to share this with you this morning from the Gospel of John. There's another story. And this is a really quick thing that I love so much, uh, and I just want to share it with you. I want to see where we're going to go here. Um, 
Sea. Yeah, John Nine. So those two guys were blind on the side of the road. Well, here, here, check this out, church. As Jesus was going along with his disciples, he sees a man born blind, blind from birth. And his disciples, I want to ask you what kind of eyes they have, what, 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 what kind of a gut vibe are they getting, ask him, who sinned, teacher, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, right? Because obviously if someone's born blind, it's because yeah, they did something wrong or their parents did something wrong or God doesn't love them as much or there's some reason they're handicapped, disabled, right? There's some reason that somebody's in a, a wheelchair. There's some reason that somebody can't speak. There's some reason that somebody's ailing. There's some reason that somebody's failing. Obviously, who messed up? And, and I want you to hear, because that's what we, the guys are healed who, 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 are, who couldn't have seen us out of the road. But this is what Jesus says. And we're not going to get into the rest of the story. This is what he says. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Fair enough. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Born blind from birth, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You know, I often wonder, we have problems, we have disabilities, we have struggles, and it's like, why do I, why am I this way, why am I this way? And I think that the answer I hear from scripture over and over again is, so that the glory of God, the work of God might be displayed in your life, in my life. Yeah. This is, I'm telling you, church, this is remarkable to me that there have been so many people who are um, disabled that teach me what God looks like. <laughs> that teach me what love looks like. That teach me what service looks like. They're not as able-bodied as me, and they're doing stuff that I would never dream to do. I'm encouraged. It's not about disability. It's about a life that's glorifying to God. God will glorify himself if you are after him. If you are paying attention to him, he will use you to glorify him. That's what he's doing, right? I recently heard a story about they, are, they got the genetic sequence and they're going to be able to actually modify humans so that there's no more disabilities. Really? Is it human anymore? Really? Well, you can't want them to be born suffering, can you? Why not? Why not? Well, it's terrible. It's a terrible life, is it? Or is it hard for you? Huh? Is it that disabled people make me feel bad and so I need them not to exist anymore? Because I think they glorify God. Praise God. They glorify Him. Well, two more stops here. This is the third box. If you're doing the drawing, by the way, you've probably got it done already, right? Like a 30-second drawers out there. This is crowds. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. Two different stories from the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 14 first, 13 through 16. So 14, 13 through 16. Jesus is, is moved by crowds. Here we go. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He was isolating. Um, hear, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot to the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. And here it is. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Let's read a little more. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied like this, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus is moved when he sees crowds. He's, he, there's something in him that when he gets around a crowd, he, he does go away on his own, but then he sees a crowd and he's moved by their needs. And I want you to see what happens here. The first thing he does is he begins to heal their sick. He has compassion and he heals their sick. He heals their sick. And then when it gets late in the day, he's like, they got to eat and we're going to feed them. I know some of you do that all the time, right? 
You try to bind people up and you try to feed them. I know some of you do that for me, right? Try to bind me up and feed me. I appreciate it. Praise the Lord. That's gospel-oriented, gut-level stuff. When you see a big crowd, well, who, who's going to do something? Well, let's do something ourselves. Let's us do something. A couple, verse, a couple chapters later in chapter 15, very similar uh, chapter 15, verses 29 through 33. Another story, though, 29 through 33. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. And when he went up to a mountainside and sat down, great crowds came up the mountain to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid, him at, they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. There it is. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. 32. Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. The disciples asked, where can we possibly get enough bread in this remote place to feed this crowd? And does that sound familiar or what, right? Where are we going to find bread? They didn't ask. Where are we going to find toilet paper? You know, I mean, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, what do you have to give? What do you have to share? The same idea. He sees crowds. He says, I have compassion. Let's help them. Some of you have had that experience this week. People are freaking out. How can we help? How can we help? Just the other day, I, I kid you not, someone said, I've been looking for toilet paper everywhere. I'm like, I got toilet paper. You want some toilet paper? They didn't take it. But I offered it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, seriously, is that a big deal to give away some toilet paper? We're going to be fine. Maybe you have some toilet paper you can share. Instead of like making fun of people, like, oh, they, just give them some toilet paper. Give them some food. Praise God, listen, for the folks who are stepping up in this time and serving others. They're moved. I serve on the board of the Hexham Food Pantry here in Highland, and they have been working tirelessly to get food out to cars, out to cars, keeping everybody safe, making sure they're fed. Praise the Lord for those who are doing that gospel work. And here's the last one. This is also in the Gospel of Matthew. One, uh, two more chapters later, in the chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew, 21 through 27. And this is debtors. Debtors is going to sound like a funny word, but I, I just want to talk through this. So 21 through 27. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, therefore means because, because of that, 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. The man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. He's a debtor. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife uh, and his children and all they had should be sold to repay what he owed. Verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before his king, and he said, be patient with me. And he begged, I will pay back everything. 27, the servant's master took pity. Spelunk, right? Spelunk, it happened again. On his servants. Canceled the debt and let him go. That's what he did. He saw He's begging, I owe this, I can't ever pay this back. And he's like, you know what? Your debt's forgiven. Your debt's forgiven. Well, you might know the rest of that story, right? That he then goes out and starts demanding people pay him what he's owed. And it doesn't go well for him. It doesn't go well for him. 
Jesus tells this story when Peter says, how can I forgive someone that owes me? They've wronged me, they've hurt me. How am I gonna let go of that ever? And Jesus tells a story about a forgiving king, about one who makes things right, about one who says, you owe me something you can never pay back, and I'm just gonna let it go. I'm gonna say it's paid for in full. Peter is stunned, stunned by this. How can this be? How many times must we forgive someone for hurting us? How many times must we exact the price of someone who's harmed us? See, that's the funny thing is we get in the middle of these situations and our empathy is like, you feel that, you know, when, when someone owes you and, and then you, there's that, you have a moment, you're like, okay, I'm going to demand it. Pay what you owe. Make this right. But that's not of God. The, the good king is moved with compassion and he forgives. I told you the story about the, uh, this, the prodigal son, you know, the son who squanders all of his inheritance. And I just want to remind you again, the same idea here. But while he was still a long way off, the son who had wandered away, his father saw him from a distance. And here it is, he was filled with compassion in his gut for his kid. He's like, oh, he's coming home. And it says that the father ran to the son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's in the Gospel of Luke, right? Jesus told that story. He kisses him. He's like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. And look at the intimacy and look at the engagement. Look at the, the risk taking right like I'm so glad you're here I'm so glad you came back why because he's moved with compassion he's moved with compassion to be reunited again this is the heart of a loving father this is the heart of the one who believes that there are better times coming no matter what it looks like right now Paul says it this way in the God, in the book of Ephesians he says in Jesus Christ we have you and I church have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us, that you and I have the forgiveness of sins, that we have full redemption in his blood because of the grace that he has lavished on us. You know the problem with people in churches say you should pay everything you owe? I'm not, I get it. I feel it too. It's like, oh, you know, but listen, we've been forgiven everything. We've been forgiven everything. What could we demand? What could we require that God hasn't already bought for us? Or what do we have that we've lost that God didn't give to us the first, in the first place? That we have a right to demand it back as ours. We have full redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our sins. Can we be a forgiving people? Can we let those people that come to us, let that gut thing do its work and say, oh, I forgive you for that. Seven times 70. So here's the question then. What's our greatest need right now? What's our greatest need? If Jesus said to you, what can I do for you? What's your answer to him? Jesus, you know, we're talking about healing today, and people get excited about healing. Yeah, healing, let's pray for healing, right? And I agree. But Jesus asked a question when he was doing all this healing stuff. He said, which is easier, to heal someone or to say your sins are forgiven? Because you know he'd already forgiven sin. And the, the unspoken answer is, well, it's, it's, it's easier to forgive sins than to heal people. And then Jesus said this, in order that you may know, I have the ability to forgive sins. And he healed somebody, right in their sight. Because the heart of the two is the forgiveness of sins. And let me tell you, church, Jesus has the power and authority to heal and to forgive. He does both of those things. And if we're more excited about the healing than the forgiveness, we're getting it wrong. The math is wrong. We should praise God we're forgiven. And we should ask for healing. But we should praise God we're forgiven. That's the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. So what about you? Like, what's your hope? What are you proclaiming? What are you desperate to hear? I just, my prayer is that God would move us in this time, right? In our vital organs to compassion, to empathy. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the chance we've had to come together and just learn a bit from your word and to hear these great examples of Jesus being moved with compassion, how, how your word reveals the truth of his heart for us. And Lord, today I pray that those of us who maybe have been taking that roller coaster ride, we've been all over the place, you know, screaming like people at Six Flags, whatever, woo, crazy, I'm freaking out. Man, could we just rest in you? Father, can we let get some spiritual maturity amongst ourselves and start looking around for the chance that we have to actually have empathy and compassion? That we would let that those things, I know your church, Father, and I hear from so many, that they're moved. Father, would you let us know that's your good gift to us, that we care like you care for us. And Father, I pray, you know, honestly, that if there are people who think it's a bigger deal to avoid death than to be forgiven of sins, we get that right. Lord, that we would recognize before your throne, we have a bigger problem than death. We have a bigger problem than a virus. We have sin. And without the gospel, without Jesus Christ dying to make our sin right, we are lost in our sin. And we would be healed people bound for hell apart from the gospel. Oh, Lord, would you make us heaven bound? I'm going to ask this, mor this morning, Father, for people who are maybe watching, Lord, if you are willing that you would do a work of new birth in somebody's life, that they've been clinging to the sin, they've been cutting off the empathy, and that you would give new life, new birth in the name of Jesus Christ. We know you can, if you're willing, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for a chance to worship you together and to learn from your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.